Welcome to MAP, the bi-weekly market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. Mars makes it as easy as possible for you to get your pharmaceutical, medtech or digital health product to the market and of course get the price it deserves. My name is Stefan Walzer, I'm the founder of Mars and a health economist by training and working in the fields of market access, reimbursement, pricing and health economics already since 2004. And now let's learn about the market access and reimbursement systems around the globe. Market access is a very complex area within a country and especially obviously if you compare different countries. I think we have heard in the different episodes now in that podcast how the systems, for example, work in Switzerland, in Italy and also in the UK, for example, a lot different and at the end of the day, we still have an, a final, let's say, kind of similarity, for example, that the evidence base is one of the core drivers in order to get a positive rating, let's call it, for reimbursement or funding. But I think core questions still, especially if you think maybe a bit about the planning from a payers, but also from an industry perspective, how to do that if new products are coming to the market. What is the right price? How should I price it? How should I go into the negotiations? But also, for example, something more, let's say, um, basic, I would call it. Which kind of pathway can and should we take, for example, for our product? I think in some of the markets, it might be quite easy and simple. It's one pathway, whether you are a drug or a medical device or even a digital health service, but in some of the markets it's really diverse and it depends a lot on different kind of aspects. If you're an ATMP, if you are an orphan drug, if you are a digital health application, if you are a digital health monitoring system, if you are a medical device, an inpatient or an outpatient setting, sometimes it could be really tricky and this might have had also a kind of impact, for example, on the evidence base and obviously and finally on the pricing. But how should and could, for example, current market access manager really deal with that kind of uncertainty. We have had a great episode, for example, with Estan Senza just a couple of months ago, where she was just explaining how those, let's say, complexities could be taken into consideration when also putting a strategy together, for example, on Europe. But for sure, especially in 2022 and also beyond, for sure, um, there are other kind of technical opportunities potentially also available. Today's episode is especially around artificial intelligence for market access. So it's not so much artificial intelligence as a health product, but this time it really is the discussion. How could artificial intelligence potentially also change the work market access managers today do? And for that, I've invited Dr. Andre Bates, I think she's a great person to really go into that kind of detail. She is the founder, chairman, CEO, um, artificial intelligence, really thinker at Euloris in the UK. She has also a couple of other, let's say, um, experiences beforehand. She has been the innovative uh, UK assessor, um, board chairman, founder, managing director at MedNet Media, head of Medic Internet, Medicus. And I think also quite interestingly, in her previous life, maybe she was also a neurology consulting person. So I think the right person to answer the question might AI be the future for market access? 
Perfect. Thank you, Andre, to join me and uh, our, let's say, market access environment in terms of the discussions this and today on artificial intelligence. Um, I mean, I would say artificial intelligence for reimbursement sounds still a bit like future. Can you explain a bit where it stands right now and what it actually really is? Sure. It's funny because when I tell people I work in artificial intelligence, it conjures up these images for people of robots. And so it's <laughs> these futuristic robots. And so I guess there's a lot of misunderstanding about what AI is and what it can do. So, you know, people think about robots. They think about the, the Gary Kapersky um, chess champion being beaten by, by AI. But in reality, it is those things, but it's just the intersection between mathematics and computing. So what we can do with it is really use code to trawl through and understand huge amounts of data. And so there's lots of different types of AI, you know, there's machine learning, and then there's subtypes, you know, artificial neural networks, and then subtypes of subtypes like deep learning and so on. So essentially what AI does is it allows you to use huge amounts of data to cut through complexity and make pretty accurate predictions, the more data, the more accuracy. So if we take that onto the background of market, market access, market access is one of the most complex mm -hmm. parts within the, the pharma value chain. And it has huge amounts of data. You know, we've got clinical trial data, we've got claims data, we've got real world data, we've got um, all sorts of other data, you know, past pricing data, past submissions data. And so what AI allows us to do is really understand all that data for lots of different things for both the payers, but also pharma. And so there's so many different applications, not just reimbursement, but pricing a whole heap of different ones we can talk about um, within that. But that's really what it is. It's a way that we can cut through that complexity and all of that data to make more reliable decisions on what we're doing with our market access strategy. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's that's a quite nice, uh, let's say, introduction showing already also the complexity of AI on top, right? So, yeah. um, I mean, if if I would think of let's say somebody who wants to put a market access plan maybe for Europe together, I mean, mm -hmm. I could let's say understand that obviously the systems, the processes within each country are already very complex. Um, yes. Maybe try to make that a bit more, let's say, handy. I mean, how how or in which ways could I really utilize AI to make my life maybe easier? There's lots of ways. So one of the obvious ways first is value pricing because, you know, pricing, if you get that wrong, there's that very famous case of Zeltrap, you know, when they, they got the pricing so high and the oncologists in New York put out that full, pray, full page ad and there was the New York Times saying, we will never prescribe this because it's ridiculously expensive. So, you know, if you get your pricing wrong, it's a really, it looks bad for you anyway, because that's a big issue, big drug pricing. Um, but it means that you, A, will have delays if you get reimbursement mm -hmm. and you may not have the take up. So value pricing is a big area. And just to make that simpler <laughs> for, the, for the listeners to understand, if you think about um, Airbnb, just a non-farmer example, they use machine learning for their pricing. 
And so what they do is they have an algorithm that trawls all the internet data and looks at where they have properties advertised on their system and competing ones, so hotel rooms, other properties, et cetera. And so then it does an algorithm that will basically work out what is the sweet spot price for this room that will give us the maximum occupancy and the maximum profit. Mm -hmm. So you could price your room higher, like a Zell trap, but you wouldn't get very many people buying it, even though you get a lot more profit per person. Or you could do it a lot lower and you would be leaving a lot of money on the table. You'd have a lot of people doing it, but you actually wouldn't be making much profit for each one. So you can do the same kind of things with drugs. So we can be looking at, well, the AI, you can do algorithms to look at all of the data. So you could be looking at um, firstly clinical trial data, real world data, all of that same data we just mentioned. And from that, you could actually identify where is the sweet spot that we're going to actually get maximum take up and maximum uh, profit for ourselves. So value pricing is a great area to start with <laughs> for one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, um, if, if I would, however, maybe think of maybe the, maybe think a bit back uh, before the CAR T cell therapies were available and, you know, whether those prices are right or wrong, I think that's not the discussion now. Right. Yeah. I, I was just more thinking, I mean, obviously if I take a system, which is taking probably the data from the past into account, right. Um, and I would have something totally new, like a CAR T with maybe difficult evidence base on top. Right. How would such a system deal with such, let's say, kind of additional complexity in terms of evidence base plus in a really new innovative way of treating patients? It's an interesting question. I We did a project in the US a few years ago that had a similar kind of thing, but it wasn't a CAR-T. Um, so what it was, was a biosimilar coming in, but there was no other biosimilars in that area. So it was, how do we price this for maximum hospital accounts, basically, to get that. And what we had to do in that case was really look at all of the different accounts of the hospitals and what they were doing. And we were able to identify some proxies. So there were other biosimilars, not in the same area, mm -hmm. but they were proxy biosimilars. So we could actually start to look at how the different hospitals reacted to that proxy, which then allowed us to make predictions on what price for this hospital group and that, I mean, the hospital groups had slightly different prices, but, you know, what's the right price that we could get, you know, maximum uptake in this hospital. So it it's very difficult. It depends on the data. So that's always the key thing with the farmer. It's identifying how could we actually find something that would make sense. And so, you know, with COVID, a lot of the old data in so many different areas in pharma kind of went out the window because, Basically, the situation was so different that it didn't make sense the way things were. So it's about finding data that is going to make sense for that situation and how probably also triangulating data is a really important aspect there mm -hmm. too, looking at what other aspects of what other data sources might be influential. Like you might be thinking about some kind of rare disease data, for example, that might have a parallel or something like that. Yeah. So it, it so it it's rather 
um, if I understand you correctly, it's rather the way that AI should, let's say, support, let's say, the thinking process will probably anyway, current market access managers are as well doing when they put their plans together, right? Yes, yes. It's, it's an interesting way because it's really finding the connections between a huge amount of data. And someone was saying to me the other day, actually, a friend of mine was talking about someone who said they were very intuitive and they could always predict things in, with their intuition. And a friend and I were talking about that and saying, maybe that's the brain doing AI, basically, you know, finding the connections. And this person thinks it's intuition, but it's actually, they have a really good developed way of you know, finding the patterns really quickly. Um, so yes, it is, it is definitely mimicking what they're doing, but it's capable of processing so much more data without any, you know, I was going to say without any bias, <laughs> but that's not necessarily the case. It depends on how you put your data together, your data sample and minimize bias as much as possible. Yeah, and I would just generally say, I think any kind of intelligence might be biased, right? <laughs> also our daily kind of thinking and processing or whatever. So it's always, it's probably more the kind of question how to interpret than finally the findings and how to put it in the right kind of context, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, yeah no. that whole data bias is another, that's a whole podcast on its own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, oh, I can imagine, I yeah. fully agree. Um, I mean, if, if I turn it a bit, I mean, we have discussed a bit how useful it could be obviously for, let's say, the industry. Um, how, how would you describe potentially the benefit for the payers in a given country, right? Maybe on a national level where potentially also more the, let's say, List prices are being discussed and negotiated, but also obviously I think you mentioned already on a local level with potential hospitals as a kind of payers. Sure. And let's go back to pharma because there's a lot more cases we can talk uses we can talk about. Uh, for payers, there's a lot of ways that they're already using it. I mean, even over a decade ago, we did a project for a payer, which was really automating their claims processing with AI. And so that was able to save you know, tens of millions and every year constantly saving. So they're doing it for a lot of automation processing, but they're also looking at it for, in fact, I remember reading something that Accenture wrote, I think it was in 2018 or 19, saying that they were, some payers were, the, the use of it for payers was saving 7 billion over 18 months wow. for automating back office kind of functions. Wow. But they can also, another use for payers that we've done before is um, identifying in advance patients that are going to be high cost. So like a rare disease or a potential cancer. So they, by using, um, we actually triangulated census data as well, interestingly. There was a few different data sources we used, but we we're able to predict and what they defined as high cost was patients that were costing them over $250,000. I can't remember if it was over what time period. And so for that, it was really looking at identifying who those patients were right now and then identifying there are about 6,000 variables that we were looking at, um, which ones are likely to be in that category in the future, which have the highest probability. But then what they wanted to do was obviously minimise that cost so they wanted to identify these patients so they could then reach out to them before the cost spiraled out of control and actually get them help to reduce what, you know, the disease really progressing really fast 
so that they could, A, help themselves with the costs, but also help the patient not get into that really bad state before, you know, they start to get treatment. So there's ways that it can be done there as well. And then, of course, on, you know, the way that we use it as well, uh, making assessments, you know, AI can be used the same way that we use it with pharma to, you know, identify what are the factors to reimburse, et cetera. Um, payers can use it for that as well. So, you know, reimbursement's a big area that we use it for pharma as well, faster reimbursement. But we are starting to see payers looking at the data saying, well, you know, should this be reimbursed or is there a better option? Yeah, no, I, I think great examples. I think it it, it shows already, I think, um, that at least I think some some further and additional payers might uh, potentially want to use that as well. Um, hopefully they might as well use it in any way in the future. Um, if if we could maybe just go back a bit, um, when I'm thinking about negotiations, I mean, some of the negotiation part could probably also be more, let's call it standardized, right? I think some of it, especially maybe towards the end, it might maybe be a bit more tricky. We just discussed a couple of minutes ago, the the kind of uh, special environment, for example, when we have something really new, innovative, new environment or whatever. But um, I could as well imagine that maybe in five years, 10 years time, we could maybe as well have a kind of, let's say, tick box that we just say it's a it's a product, it's an ingredient or a mode of action we know. It's a group of disease where products are already available. Do you think this could as well be obviously applicable to AI? Simply submit what you have, or maybe even easier, just press a button, you get the price. I don't know whether industry or payers want to have it, but is that maybe as well something what could be thought about in future? Yeah, I mean, there's already AI-powered digital tools for stakeholder engagement for um for payers mm -hmm. and i saw a survey about that showing that i think it was something like some high percentage of payers found that incredibly helpful that they could actually identify a lot of factors in advance that you know and weigh things up so definitely that can be done but i think also in terms of you know the committees that are making the reimbursement decisions you know the different committees are different in each market and everything And they change. But if you can have insight into what that committee bases their decisions on, so they're all going to base their decision on cost mm -hmm. as a start, but it's not the only, the cost of the drug is not the only decision. You might actually be able to significantly reduce hospitalization with your drug, which would mean that, you know, there's an argument there. However, if the person, no one in the committee was, you know, in charge of that and they, their actual job was reducing drug costs and that wouldn't sway them. So it's really understanding the plethora of factors that are going to sway the committee in your favour. Um, and so you've got those kind of things as well. I'm just thinking the language, you know, we've done projects for pharma where we have analysed all previous submissions and the rates of going through and what language was used. And you can actually, and we've done this, get artificial intelligence to write the submission in the right language for that particular group. Uh, it's a pretty big project to do it because there's so much uh, linguistics involved in it. And you will still want a human to read through because I remember one of the sentences are grammatical, they're good, but they sometimes sound a little weird. I can't remember. There was something, I, I, there was one sentence about, I can't remember exactly, something about a confident something, and I thought, no, that doesn't sound like a human would say that, <laughs> however it was phrased. So you would want to change it, but at the same time, it's weighing up, okay, in this dossier, this for this particular group, 
we need this weighting of discussion on clinical trials, this, these arguments for cost. We need this kind of language because these, this committee, this is the language that actually sways them, you know, depending on their personality type, which we can also do with AI from if we know their names. And a lot of pharma companies actually know who's on the committee from the reps, you know, the hospital teams. So if you do know that, you know, there's loads of tools like, you know, Crystal Nose and um, Cyrano and a whole heap that actually just from someone's name and their LinkedIn account and other accounts online, it can give you their personality and tell you what language to use for them, what kind of person, you know. So there's a lot of that kind of thing that is already being done with AI for pharma. So that's another big area. But the more data and, of course, if you have the formulary committee names, that's the richest data you can get for this kind of thing. Yeah, I know that that's that sounds very, very interesting. I mean <laughs> I mean it it's basically still, I think, let's say the kind of next step um would you would probably anyway do uh, currently, right? I mean, yeah. you also whenever you have the names, you try to get a kind of feeling how they might react, what their background is, etc. I think just yeah. more structure and probably as you said, just with more data, right? So it might yeah. be more rigid at the end of the day. Absolutely. And then the other way that we're seeing is quite game-changing with AI in market access, and we've had clients with this, is there's often a market access analytics team Mm -hmm. in a pharma company, and they're getting requests from at least, if I think about particular companies and clients, maybe 250 requests a week if they're doing all brands globally. And they often will have a team in India to support them because there's just too much work for the main team. And so they'll be handing off at night to the Indian team who then do it. And what they find is a lot of these requests take a week, a few days to a week to do all the analysis to answer the question. And so now using artificial language, artificial intelligence, natural language processing and machine learning combined in a platform, you can. it doesn't require that you need a big data cleanup operation and then some pre-algorithms to be created. But when you do the question in with natural language, after you've done all of that that preparation stage, um, it will just feed in and within 15 minutes, five to 15 minutes, you will have the answer and a visualisation that's CEO ready, you know, C-suite ready. (laughs) So um, one particular client was saying that, you know, this was such a game changer for their organisation because, you know, the analyst could then focus on the really complex problems rather than having to do all the predictable ones that were coming through again and again and again and again. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I could, I mean, I, I could see that in front of, of my eyes, right? I think especially those, as you said, those kind of standard requests, right? Important, yeah. but really time-consuming. And I yeah. mean, if you have, let's say, a, a system available, uh, which is then running and doing the analysis, and then yeah. finally even have already, the, let's say, the visual available finally uh, to yeah. present it, I think that that's obviously, as the client said, probably a big game changer I, I can fully understand that fully fully yeah. i think you you anyway mentioned already um i think um on top you know the complex situation might then be more let's say worked by the the market access managers or anal, uh, analysts there um what what if let's say short-term preferences might change i mean we're, we're now i mean in 2022 we have the big kind of impact by by the war in the ukraine and the kind of impact on the economy and and obviously and finally obviously as well on the budget for the healthcare, right so yeah. how how could that be implemented in a short run right and in, in the mid or long run i can understand that right in terms of system it's learning right but 
what about the short run? Is that then rather a kind of still manual change or could that still be, let's say, included also, let's say, um, more technically in, into AI? Everything is dependent on the data. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's the, the bottom line with AI is it's all data driven. So if you can collect enough data on that change quickly, then yes, it can be pretty much in, integrated really quickly. Mm-hmm. So it's very dependent on what you're doing, you know, what kind of data. So you might be able to get a lot of um, language data on those kind of changes really quickly. You know, what the formulary discussions, uh, what discussions going on online, things like that within the industry, within within the, the payer groups. Uh, but it's very dependent on the data. But again, in this space, there's so much data. So is you know, so much data is generated every day. So theoretically, if there's a big change like that, you should be able to pivot and adjust, maybe not within a day, but certainly within a month or two, you would again have collected a huge amount of data that then could be used for the new one. So it wouldn't be... Mm-hmm in the magnitude of what you had before, but it would start to give you some good indications of what you need to do to change. So it's possible, but it's very data dependent. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. Um, Final question. Do you think in the long run, not speaking about the next two or three years, but maybe speak about the, let's say in 10 years time, do you think AI could do the job of market access managers or maybe if not, why? (laughs) It's a difficult question. I get this a lot. (laughs) I would like to say that AI is there to augment our our roles. And so certainly in the next few years, it's more of an augmentation role. I don't want to predict too far (laughs) into the future because (laughs) that could change when you see um, Amelia and Sophia and those kind of robots that actually have got Pretty impressive, and digital humans, Amelia's a digital human, pretty impressive abilities to do pretty much the same thinking a human can do plus have their AI Mm -hmm. on the back end of it. So who knows in the future, but certainly in the coming years, it's an augmentation role. It means that we will be able to, you know, market access managers will be able to do their job with a much more efficient process and with much more accuracy in the sort of results that they're going to be getting and, you know, just do their job a lot better, which means that, as in the case of that um, analytics example, you know, they can focus on the things that are not necessarily in the remit of AI. So there could be, you know, strategic decisions they want to make and things like that where their focus could go there. And a lot of the, the more, you know, how do we get the reimbursement faster? How do we price it? How do we answer questions? All of those sort of things can be handled really, really easily. So it's an augmentation role for now. <laughs> that was good. No, I mean, as you said, I think um, nobody knows uh, how future will, will, will be changing. I think nobody would have foreseen probably realistically what, what the, or let's say what happened in the last 10, 15, 20 years. And nobody can obviously foresee what will happen in the next 5, 10, 15 years as well. So I think as you, as you said it correctly, I would share that view. I think in the short run, I think it's probably more kind of supportive. Let's call it function. Uh, but what and how those robots um, or AI in general might evolve even further, we don't know. So um, thanks a lot for those insights. Great insights. I think uh, some further fruits of thought, obviously, for everybody. 
So thanks a lot for joining us. Thank you. And by the way, I've got a white paper on this topic if anyone is interested. So they can go to eularis.com, E-U-L-A-R-I-S.com forward slash resources. And if you scroll down the page, there's a white paper about how to embed AI into the market access process. Andrew, that's perfect. We'll put that also into our show notes so that everybody could just simply click on the link. Uh, That's awesome. Thank you, Andre. (laughs) Thank you. So that was Andre Bates uh, with the really interesting discussion, what I think, on artificial intelligence in the area of market access. I think we all need to think about it. I mean, nobody knows how the future will come and will change, obviously. Um, I mean, just comparing what and which kind of technical support we had maybe 40 years ago, 20 years ago, five years ago. It's already a big change and nobody will know, obviously, how this will be handled as well in the near future. But I think at the end of the day, for the next four or five years, I think Andre said that as well, I think it's probably more a kind of support what we all potentially could take in terms of market access support. I mean, there are so many data and even more data in the future out there. I mean, it can start with the medical data, with the clinical data, with the underlying evidence. Um, Obviously, we all know about systematic literature searches. So that's a quite obvious part where I think market access managers could potentially as well utilize AI even more. The same one for sure, um, Andre said that already in terms of pricing, the kind of appropriate pricing. Also, maybe if you want to have a kind of price ceiling, for example, across Europe or across the, uh, the globe, but also from the other side, right? I mean, if I would be a payer, it's also the kind of question how to, pay, to potentially really get the um, maximum or in this way, the minimum price out there, what is still acceptable. The use of AI in negotiations, we have also very briefly discussed, but I think especially in the US, it is already used much more and much more prominently in order to also prepare, let's say, the kind of right messaging, the right kind of evidence package for, let's say, the other side of the table. I think also important, we're not only, let's say, thinking here about the industry, but also payers are already using it and might as well be using it, for example, in negotiations. If we might be maybe say taken over by robots in 5, 10, 15 years. We can probably doubt it currently, but I think it's at least something we should have a look for, meaning that we should be able to really utilize the support function, the augmented function, as Andre said, of AI into our, let's say, planning in terms of strategy and tactics. That was an episode of MAP, the market access podcast provided by Mars Market Access and Pricing Strategy, which is your healthcare consultancy in the German-speaking markets. MAP is available every second week with a new episode, so watch out. And in case you might have questions, contact me directly and or visit our website on www.marketaccess-pricingstrategy.de.